Happy New Year, everybody. It's already January 3rd, and I'm going to give you a few predictions for 2024. Thanks, sponsors. Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So a few predictions. Uh, first of all, uh, I believe that in 2024, the condition premiums will narrow. What I mean by that is if you have a raw 50s card and it's in a five condition, I think prices over the course of the next year or so are going to get tighter around that. And five for some cards, the raw price guide is five, and then the graded five is similar price. But I think what's going to happen is that the prices are going to get tighter around the five. It's not going to start at the 10 and everybody's going to work up to that or start at the one and everything's worked out of that. It's going to look at the five being an established price and it's going to get tighter around the five. So there won't be as big a premium for a six over a five or as big of a cut of a four instead of a five. My example here is if, if a five is a thousand dollars, let's say a six is 1250. So that's a 25% premium and a seven is 1500. But a four is a 750, so that's 25% less. And then a three is 500. I think what I'm seeing now that a lot of vintage collectors, if a three is 500 and the seven is 1500, again, I'm making up the numbers, I think a lot of vintage collectors are looking at the three first. Is it a really nice looking three? And they'll start at the bottom end of the scale. Okay, but I think over the course of this year, I think those spreads are going to narrow. And so at the end of the year, you were looking at the five still being a thousand. But the six was only 1100 less of a premium. And the seven was 1200 and the four was 900 and the three was 800 So the threes and fours went up, the six and sevens went down a little bit. I think those things are coming together. If that happened, uh, I think you could see the buyer psychology would be such that if that were me, I'd want to look at the seven first. If there's only a slight premium for seven over a five comparatively. Uh, but right now, the premiums, I believe, are too much. And of course, I'm not even talking about the different grading companies. It gets really crazy when you talk about one company's seven and another company's six and another company's five, and you maybe think they all look uh, pretty similar. It's not apples and orange, but uh, the grading companies, they're different kinds of apples. Now, to prove my point, I think the Hannes Wagner T206 is already there. You don't have the exaggerated uh, spread, even though they're millions of dollars. In percentage terms, it's not very much. And I think the 52 Tops Mantle, which is another uh, very iconic card, I think it's going to be more influenced going forward. This is just my prediction for what the fives go for than what an isolated eight or nine uh, or 9.5 goes for. That's just a different market. And so I think if a, a grade of five of a 52 Mantle stabilizes, then things are going to coalesce compared to that. Prediction number two, I think there's going to be an increase in interest and price of slabbed, authentic, altered cards. I don't think they're necessarily going to take off, but they've been out of favor. I think they're gaining favor because they don't look so bad. They shouldn't be priced at less than a one or a two. They look good. That's overly simplistic. A really nice looking authentic altered card might just have a little bit of coloration or a slight trimming that didn't crush the grade. It takes it all away from whatever it would have been. In fact, it would have gone down with the grading companies that do qualifiers. If it's off center, then that's worth a couple of grades sometimes. But if you trim it <laughs> to try to cheat, and then now it looks perfectly centered, but it doesn't measure it's no longer an OC, it's an altered card. And crime should not pay. You shouldn't get the benefit of, even though it looks nicer, it has been altered. So I have a couple rules that I look at. I look at the eye appeal of the altered card after it's been altered and what would it grade? I look at what would it grade if it had not been altered and looked like it was pre-alteration. But if I did that, if I looked at it, 
it still ought to be a substantial discount from what it looks like with the eye appeal that it has. If it looks like an eight, but it's been altered, maybe it was a six that got trimmed. So it shouldn't be worth more than a six. On the other hand, you're looking at it and there's an eye appeal there that you think, gosh, that really looks good. It says A on there, but it's much like heat treated jewelry. The most knowledgeable people can see there's a slight discount for that additional treatment. And so whether it's 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, there's different examples. You just have to know the market. It probably depends on the year and the player and type of card. And frankly, I think we're talking about a big difference between authentic appeal in the 7, 8, 9, 10 range as opposed to a restored 1, 2, 3, or 4. I think there's a lot more leniency on the lower grades since they're not always considered investment grade. The lower the eye appeal of the card, the less it matters that the card was altered. It still ought to be truth of packaging. And and lastly, on that prediction is I just got back a card from BGS that I certainly did not alter. And I don't think it was altered when I got it long ago, but I got it back and they say it's altered. And so to me, that's disputed altered. <laughs> now, I can either crack it out and send it back to them or send it back to somebody else, which I probably won't do that. But I'm just saying, when I get this, when I go to sell that card, it's in an altered holder, but it looks nice. And I don't think it's altered. If it is, I can't tell. They probably could show me, but I'm going to price it a little more aggressively because I don't think it's altered. It's my choice to put whatever price I want on it. I'm not lying about it. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, number three, I think the uh, successful hobby shops of 2024 are going to have to be true LCSs and not uh, LBSs. Uh, not BS, but uh, a local box store. Many of the card shops that do really well, the most profitable product is selling boxes. And I think they're going to need to evolve towards selling more cards, not just boxes. If the ratio for some of these card shops is that 80% of their sales comes from boxes, I think that's going to have to go down. I think that uh, margins are going to go down on boxes as well as availability. So if you're a, a, an LCS, you've got to learn. And I hope people will support their local LCS by buying and not just graded and slammed cards, but raw cards too. And the gross margins are way higher for individual cards, but net margins are not always great if you're not very efficient. Now, Rob Veris is known to have this amazing system and he sorts a lot of cards, but he doesn't sort everything. You've got to know what to break down and what not to. And so you need to know your local market because breaking down in your LCS, if you're in a certain geography, you need to know which are the local interest players and cards you need to keep in stock and not be out of stock on that. I believe you can still charge some reasonable premium for the service of having those cards there. Uh, the days of the uh, distributors having pallets and cases and the uh, LCS having boxes and the retail having packs and then the, the LCS is having singles. I just think you really need to be selling packs and singles and boxes too. But I think the singles ought to be the gravy and hopefully they will do that. Prediction number four, Pepper Hastings worked uh, for our team for a long time and he did a whole bunch of interesting things. One of which was to select our sports tickets. He's a consummate fan, huge baseball guy, but he helped us. He'd go for the ticket selections for all these season tickets that we had. Very relational, but also analytical. And he knew that getting the season tickets, where they would be, how much we pay was part art and part science. So what view, what part of the ballpark, stadium, or arena are you going to be in? How close do you want to be to the action? Now, in sports cards, the analogy is the player is the view, and and the closeness is the grade. So the first row is obviously better than the second row, but at what additional price? And where in the ballpark are those front row seats? There may be a worse viewing experience being several rows back of home plate is better than being uh, on the first row of center field. 
So Pepper wanted to be strategically close. He analyzed it. If the first 10 rows were $200 a ticket and rows 11 through 20 were $150 a ticket and rows 21 through 30 were $100 a ticket, he would know to try for row 1, row 11, or row 21. He would never want to be in row 20 or row 30. He'd want to get the best within that section. And actually what happened for us, row one was already sold out. And so we couldn't get that. So Pepper got us our seats in row 11. I'm changing the numbers a little bit. So forgive me for the lack of accuracy. I think it actually was row 16. But I mean, the it was when the price went down right there. So there was a discontinuity in the price. And what I'm thinking now is that in 2024, and this is my insight for sports cards, is that I think collectors are already looking for the best in-grade or undergraded cards of their favorite player. But I think somebody, maybe it'll be my old company, maybe it'll be somebody else, is going to develop a SeatGeek-type app where all the available grades and copies of a player's card are evaluated. probably works better for graded than for ungraded. And they can be rated and ranked as to the desirability of the price performance. What's the best deal for a good seat at the game? You just want the best deal on the card sometimes, regardless of the exact grade, as long as it's greater than a five. Again, you don't want to sit in the upper deck, which would be equivalent to a lower grade card or bad sideline. So you want to get a good seat. But within that, whether you're in the 30th row or the fifth row, it depends on the price. I think somebody's going to do that. If I were younger, I would do that. The programming is achievable. And I think it'd be a real service to know what's the best deal out there instead of what's the best seven or what's the best six. And again, like I said, looking at different companies and all that. It it can get very confusing, but I think big data could help solve that. And finally, prediction number five, I think there's too many card shows now and it'll be survival of the fittest, but sometimes it's not just survival of the fittest. It's sometimes the fittest even could suffer if they've got a lot of competitors and and a show gets, a pond gets overfished. I, I think sometimes you would think even the fittest or the best promoters in the area may want to reduce uh, frequency so, so they can make sure the user experience is memorable. But if Kyle Robertson, who does a great job here in Dallas, if he goes to four shows a year, somebody else may come in and poach and say, hey, Kyle, we're going to do every quarter. We're going to come into a different part of the city, a different convention center. My final prediction here, and I don't know this will happen this year, but it could happen, is that one of the protections Kyle might have, or anybody, same thing with Joe Drellick and uh, Rob Veris out in Anaheim, uh, Burbank. If you're in good relationship with the influential dealers, whether they were be in a bargaining group or you're, you're in relationship with them, they trust you, you trust them. If they banded together in some not super formal way, if Kyle knows that he's got a group of influential dealers that stick together and are going to stick with him, and maybe he gives them a better deal. Same thing, again, Joe Drellick, Rob Ferris, any of these promoters out there that are all in and have a good relationship, good trust. I think dealers have a bargaining power. If there's a show and the main dealers, biggest dealers don't come and decide to go somewhere else, that's bad news. And whether it's some kind of a collective bargaining, not collective bargaining, but just some kind of an agreement. Otherwise, it is a free world. I, I'm not trying to tie anybody's hand behind their back. But otherwise, Kyle has to stay with six times a year just to keep his dealers uh, busy. So I think there are too many card shows, but it's just like restaurants. There's too many restaurants, but who wants to close down their restaurant? They're not going to close down their restaurant if they're doing okay. And if they're not, they're going to go out of business. That's it. Again, Happy New Year. I still got a sinus infection. I don't like bringing that into the new year, but I will be back again on Friday with another episode. And thanks again. Happy New Year. The man in the house of cards. The man in